We are Sugar by Half, a not-for-profit, independent organization led by a team of health experts and business professionals who also happen to be concerned parents. We are passionate about a future for Australia where people live healthier lives through the reduction of sugar-related diseases. Welcome to our podcast. Welcome to Sugar by Half. My name is Daniel Velado, and today we are thrilled to be joined by Dr. Sandra DeMeo, CEO of Vic Health. Dr. Sandra DeMeo is a medical doctor, globally renowned public health expert and advocate. Having held the role of medical officer for non-communicable conditions and nutrition with the Department of Nutrition for Health and Development at the World Health Organization. Dr. DeMeo was previously the CEO of the EAT Foundation the science-based global platform for food systems transformation. In his pro bono work, Dr. DeMeo co-founded NCD Free, a global social movement against chronic disease which reached more than 2.5 million people in its first 18 months. In 2018, he also established an independent not-for-profit foundation focused on improving the health and nutrition of Australians. Dr. Sandro currently has a book out called The Doctor's Diet. Besides his role as VicHealth CEO, Dr. DeMeo also co-hosts the ABC television show Ask the Doctor, an innovative, factual medical series broadcasting across Australia and around the world. Sandro, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Can you start by telling us about your fascinating journey? Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, And first, I just want to... um, start by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land that I'm uh, broadcasting in on today, uh, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'm in Melbourne, I'm in Northcote. Um, and, you know, the the topic of food is, is um, obviously so central to my culture uh, and your culture. We we're just talking about it, our Italian culture, but, um, but also to, to Australian culture and to First Nations Australian culture has been for more than 60,000 years. Um, my my own my journey wow it's a it's a it's a tough one you know to answer quickly um it's been a strange journey uh, it's been a really fun journey a challenging journey um and a hugely privileged journey um so i grew up here in melbourne uh, in an italian family um my dad's a gp my mum's an occupational therapist so two really um switched on community connected um really passionate uh, about their about their careers in in medicine and health, um, two parents and and then uh, two older brothers. Uh, I always had a fascination for health and well-being at school. Um, I was uh, both fascinated by the natural environment, but also uh, the human body. So uh, you know, found myself uh, nerding out at the environment club, um, but I also was uh, always really engaged in science and and loved particularly biology and chemistry. Um, When I left school, I I went to uh, med school at Monash, Um, really loved the experience. And what I loved most was just the interaction with people, being able to work with uh, families, communities across Australia of all different backgrounds um, and really understand some of the challenges facing people, but also work really closely with people you know, on their journey to achieve better health and well-being. <clears throat> um, when I was in the in my graduate year of medicine, I um, I started to get uh, a strong interest and a bit of an insight into international health and even global health. So I did a short stint at uh, the World Health Organization in Geneva as an intern in my final year of medicine. Um, I spent some time in in remote communities uh, during med school. Um, and found myself also doing some aid work after the Sri Lanka um, Boxing Day tsunami of 2004-05. And it was really the culmination of these different experiences that made me soon realise that while I loved clinical medicine and I have such a deep respect for anyone, uh, whether it's, um, you know, individuals working in retail, whether it's uh, doctors and nurses working in a hospital, whether it's teachers working in schools, the important um, the, the powerful importance of human interaction and um, 
and and also just how much it brings to your life to do something where you're directly benefiting uh, the lives of others. Um, and, and whilst I love this, I realized that actually the health challenges that I was seeing and treating as a doctor again and again, whether it was uh, remote Australia, suburban Melbourne, uh, Cambodia, Mongolia, or Sri Lanka through some international health work I'd done, all of these countries were facing overwhelming burdens of chronic disease that were largely preventable. It was deeply inspired and to the healthiness of, of diets and whether people could afford or access healthy diets. Um, and I realized that if we could find ways of, instead of treating those at the bottom, you know, I use the analogy of a cliff. My job at that time as a clinician was treating those who had fallen to their peril and broken their bones at the bottom of a cliff. And they were just falling and falling and falling. And I realized, well, hang on a second, there must be some way of climbing up the top of that cliff, building a fence and stopping people from falling off the first place. And to me, that's what public health is. So I left clinical medicine. I went to Denmark, I spent three years between Denmark and Mongolia doing my PhD, was in Mongolia at a really fascinating time in the country's development, fastest growing economy in the world, really quickly westernizing, taking on you know, I was there when the first um, uh, KFC opened in the country, hundreds and hundreds of metre long lines um, and the, the power of global advertising and, and global brands and, and global the globalisation of Western diets. <clears throat> I then spent the next uh, a few years at Harvard Medical School, launching a social startup, trying to engage young people, getting, getting young leaders engaged in um, social change and, and really getting young leaders rallied around global health issues. Uh, we, we launched NCD Free. We launched that through a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo, raised about $55,000 in 30 days, then just ran with it and had an amazing cast of, of a team around the world uh, in all different countries. And we just built this social movement around global health uh, and NCDs. And then was lucky enough um, after coming back to Australia and launching Festival 21, to get a job with the UN in Geneva, back where I was 10 years earlier as a, or about eight years earlier as an intern. So I did the full kind of cycle and ended up back as a staff member at the World Health, World Health Organization headquarters in Geneva. And there I was a technical advisor to governments on nutrition policy around the world. Um, loved that job, loved Geneva, but was probably itching for something just a bit more fast paced. So after about three years, I then, um, a startup that I'd been working to launch with a friend of mine in Norway. Um, I joined her team for about a year and a half. Um, we launched the Planetary Health Diet, the Lancet Commission, and a bunch of other things. Um, and then eventually, love and family uh, drew me back to Australia. And um, so coming home to be with my partner, be with my parents and, and my, you know, the family where my passion uh, you know, really started uh, all those years earlier. Um, and, uh, and the job came up at Vic Health, And so here I am back in Australia and it's, I've been the job for a year. It's been a very unusual year. We can talk about that in a second. Um, but, it, but it's also, you know, an absolute privilege to lead uh, the world's first health promotion foundation um, and to, you know, have an opportunity to once again, work with Victorian communities and families to improve the health and wellbeing of, of all Victorians. Thank you for sharing that. As I said, a fascinating journey and you know, the experience that you bring to the table is outstanding and you have accomplished so much already. And yeah, we're going to touch on a few of those things um, in this interview. So thanks for sharing your journey. You've mentioned it already about your Italian upbringing. So you, you are often heard talking about your Italian upbringing and how this has influenced your love of nutrition, food and culture. Are you able to enlighten us on your family's love of food and nutrition and how this led you to create Festival 21? Well, yeah, we, I mean, Daniel, we were reflecting on our, and I shared heritage before of having, of being Australian Italians or Italo-Australians or um, Austro-Italians, however you want to, I don't know, quite know what we are, but I'm Australian, very passionate and proud to be Australian, but obviously have Italian roots. So my, my, my grandparents arrived in Australia, um, illiterate, uh, with no money, uh, they couldn't speak English, uh, and they were looking for a better opportunity for themselves and for their for the generations after them. Um, they arrived in the 40s and 50s. Um, my grandmother arrived with six kids uh, after having been um, having having had 10 years apart, 
because of World War II. My, my grandfather was here and was interned during World War II. My grandmother then joined later. Um, so, you know, the, the, the importance of family, I think, after that, but, but, but also because of the Italian culture anyway, uh, was, was central to my upbringing. Um, I remember very clearly, you know, many summers, long summer days uh, down at the farm, at my parents' farm, where I spent a lot of my childhood um, picking the tomatoes with grandparents from both sides. I've also got really uh, beautiful uh, Welsh grandparents on the other side, picking tomatoes all together, three generations, four generations, um, bottling, cooking, eating, sharing, um, and 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 that that's really for me the kind of quintessential. It was you know many of my early memories were in the kitchen with my mum or my dad cooking. Uh, so growing up for me, uh, food because of those really early associations of being in the kitchen cooking with those that I loved um, and who loved me, uh, food became associated with family. Cooking became associated with love and family and um, nourishment and, uh, you know, some of the best kind of happiest times uh, in my life. And so as I grew up, naturally, you know, those associations stayed um, and cooking just became a really important central part uh, of, of my family, uh, of my family's culture. Uh, and now to this day, you know, we, um, we all live very close by to each other. Uh, there won't be a week that goes by that we don't drop some food off on each other's doorsteps. Uh, in fact, just this evening, I had a delivery of some of dad's olives on my doorstep to eat before dinner. Um, and, and that's pretty typical. For us, food is a way of showing love. For us, really good, simple, whole, wholesome food, um, you know, and particularly homegrown food. We are, we are very, very lucky. We, you know, um, we're able to grow some of, some of that food ourselves. Uh, for us, that whole process from growing it to cooking it to sharing it, uh, that, that is the, the sort of um, quintessential uh, gesture of generosity and love, I think, for, for many Italian families, for many families even who aren't Italian, and certainly uh, it's the case for our family. I think we could definitely share some stories and talk probably for about a few hours on um, some Italian traditions and... As you said, you know, dropping off food at just before it, that's a um yeah, a common practice. And it's great <laughs> to hear about your your love and for the family and you know how that's had an influence on you and your homegrown mm. tomatoes with the basada. Nothing yeah. can really and I, that, and I see but... and I see it now too. I see it now too, Daniel. I see, you know, my I've got three little beautiful nieces and my brothers have both got kids and and um you know, I'll often see at the moment it's photos, but you know, pre COVID and hopefully soon again. Uh, I'll, I'll turn up at my parents' house and their, their grandchildren are now in the kitchen making muffins or hanging out or dipping their finger in the, you know, in the sauce or wanting to get involved in making the pasta. Um, and so once again, the next generation are, are connecting good food, wholesome food uh, and cooking, the process of cooking and sharing food um, with love, which is just so important, uh, you know, in terms of building a healthy relationship with food but also using food as that, as that anchor for, for family and for connection. Absolutely. The Sandra DeMeo Foundation's mission is to inspire and empower Australians to make positive changes to their health, their environment, and their community through food. Can you provide some insight into your foundation? Yeah, look, um, I was living overseas in 2015 and, and I was... Um, I was lucky enough to be offered or to be asked to co-host Ask the Doctor and launch launch a book, uh, The Doctor's Diet. And um, I strongly believed and still believe that uh, the the small amount of money that I was able to make through those projects, I wanted to really reinvest that, give that back to Australian communities and particularly to families with young children in Australia who face greater barriers to accessing affordable, healthy, sustainable food. Uh, so I established SDF. Um, I have a fantastic board. The money from those projects and a, and a few other uh, things that I do goes straight to the foundation. 
Um, and the foundation's really focused on delivering um, different programs, small scale programs, we're a small foundation uh, to, to bring, you know, the discussions around healthy food, access to healthy, sustainable food and sustainable, sustainable diets and food systems to bring those discussions to Melbourne. So we launched Festival 21, big, massive, free, uh, open festival. We had four and a half thousand people at the first and second festival, completely free. Um, it was just a, a you know, an, a kind of two day extravaganza of community coming together to, to enjoy food and through food, talk about sustainable development, talk about the type of society we want to create, talk about the type of future we all want as a country and one that we can be proud to hand on to future generations. So that was Festival 21. That, that happens every two years. Amazing group of volunteers, um, some, some amazing people who now have taken that on and really run that for the foundation and with the foundation. And, and you know, Sugar by Half was a, was a, was a really was an incredible partner in, in the most recent uh, festival. So, you know, big thanks to you guys as well. It really is a, a, a community effort. Um, the other really fun example of, of something the foundation does is um, Little Food Festival. So uh, we launched together with uh, the City of Melbourne, Monash Education and Federation Square, Australia's first food festival for children. Lots of food festivals, none of them focus on kids. And the reaction has just been amazing. We've had two years now. The first year we had more than two and a half thousand young people come through Federation Square over two days. Again, completely free festival. Uh, I'm, I'm very passionate about making sure that these events are, are, are that the money and, and being able to afford to come is not a barrier to participating. Um, we had more than two and a half thousand young people come through the first event. There was uh, cooking, there were craft, you know, craft uh, activities. There were amazing, uh, Monash and the team ran some really cool um, sort of immersive science education programs all through the language, you know, the language of food. And then this year, just a month ago, we ran the second Little Food Festival. And of course, like everything else in 2020, it's needed to pivot. And so it went completely digital this year. And we had, again, around 2000 people attend the festival. Uh, the average watching time was almost an hour. So it just shows how engaged and I think, you know, enjoyable young, young, um, young Australians and, and young people across Victoria found the festival. Uh, we had amazing content from, um, you know, Stephanie Alexander, uh, Becky Orpen, Alice Vlasky. Uh, I, won't, I won't name everyone because I'll forget someone, but there were, you know, so many people incredible partners of ours that that donated their time, whether it was reading a book or running an activity or learning how to garden or learning. We had Costa in the garden as the garden gnome in his own garden, live streaming kids as part of the festival. So that was completely digital. And then next year, we'll pro we're, we're looking at now actually um, making that a hybrid digital and physical um, little food festival in 2021. So Festival 21, Little Food Festival, we also run a series of uh, a, a speaker series um, profiling female leaders uh, interviewed by young female journalists. That was a, um, an initiative that the team launched last year called Women in Leadership uh, with the patron Helen Clark, the former uh, Prime Minister of New Zealand, who was also our first uh, profiled leader. Um, yeah, and a bunch of other things that the foundation does, but it's all, it's all very grassroots. It's all focused on, you know, really um, connecting good food uh, with with Australian kids and trying to support Australian families, um, you know, who are do often doing it tough to, uh, you know, to get good food on the table uh, in a way that's financially uh, and environmentally sustainable. Now, like you've said there, you know, your key and your, your passion is to try and make it accessible and not have money a barrier. I think that's fantastic. And, you know, education, as we know, is key especially at such a young age and you know, all those things that you mentioned with the gardening, good food. Um, so well done on, on all those achievements. And as COVID has hopefully get some positives of, you know, going things online and making it even more accessible to others. So I think that's one po positive we can take out of this year. Um, but we definitely will be looking forward to your new, um, new system for, for next year and how that looks. 
You are currently the CEO of Vic Health. Vic Health aims to create a Victoria where everyone can enjoy better health and well-being. Are you able to share some initiatives that you have implemented and how this has had an impact? Yeah, look, I'm pretty passionate. Uh, so again, I could speak for an hour just about some awesome things that we're doing that the team is 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 uh, running with at the moment uh, at Vic Health. Um, so Vic Health, the state's health promotion agency. We're a statutory body, which means we're independent from government, but it is public money. So it is the money, the the money from mums and dads, small businesses, uh, large businesses across Victoria. And we 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 use that and we're very focused. Our, our mission uh, is to improve the health and well-being of all Victorians. That's what we that's what we exist to do. Um, and it's really about keeping Victorians healthy for longer. Uh, Coronavirus has has impacted what we do as well. We're in we're in the final three years of a ten year strategy focused on on directly improving the health uh, and well being of, of a million Victorians, um, and this year has has you know obviously changed uh, the way we work like every other organisation around us. One example of, of of something that I'm really proud of and and proud of the team for um, is that we have been able to uh, support Victorians through coronavirus. So we know that the virus itself is incredibly infectious. It's uh, highly um, dangerous. Uh, and the Department of Health and the Chief Health Officer and um, many medical organisations have been focused on uh, flattening the curve and keeping Victorians safe. And indeed, we have been supporting that effort as well. But our focus in addition to that has really been keeping Victorians healthy uh, while we're navigating through and beyond coronavirus. So one of the things that we have done is um, back in, in April, we ran a, a statewide survey looking at how coronavirus had impacted the health of Victorians. Uh, we found things uh, that, were that were not surprising, like a big decrease in physical activity, um, particularly among young women, concerningly. We found uh, some things that probably were a little bit surprising, like uh, a huge increase, a doubling of food insecurity, families really struggling to be able to afford to put good, healthy food uh, on the table or restock their pantries, particularly single parent households, low income families, families facing already significant barriers to achieving health and wellbeing. And we saw it uh, probably not um, too surprising. We saw uh, a major decrease in social connection across most Victorian com communities, which is a, an important precursor for mental health. And so based on that information, we're able to pivot quickly and then organise a number of um, community leadership groups with uh, different organisations we work with. We're able to start developing roadmaps for strengthening some of those areas, including food security uh, for the state and um, uh, uh, you know how we can try and support Victorians to stay connected over this time. We're able to do a lot of work with our media partners in that space. But we've also just launched one of the largest uh, funding rounds uh, in our history. So um, we basically took the, the, the findings of that survey. We said, okay, this is what Victorians are saying they need from us. So pretty much, you know, a week later, we launched a major funding round focused on supporting uh, local community organisations um, sport groups, cultural groups, community clubs, um, councils to address and respond to those specific needs that Victorians told us they needed help on. Uh, so this is a two and a half million dollar grant round. We're now looking at increasing that even further because we've had such an overwhelming uh, response and request for support. Um, and we'll get that money out very quickly to the community at the grassroots level so that the community-owned and community-led solutions to some of the big challenges, health challenges that Victorians are facing, will be able to, they'll be able to get the support they need to get those programs running and scaling uh, as soon, you know, sooner. So that, that's, that's one example, you know, of where I think uh, we, we can work with our research partners to understand what the challenges are that Victorians, um, you know, meet Victorians where they're, where they're at. We can work with our um, sporting and arts and um, health promotion partners 
uh, to support Victorians in the ways that they need. And then, of course, the money that we have belongs to Victorians. So at the end of the day, it's about getting that money out to Victorians who need it most in the way that's going to benefit them most. You just touched there on food insecurity, and, and it is a, um, a rising challenge. Are you able just to maybe share just a little bit on what food insecurity is, just for those who are unaware? Sure. So food insecurity is, is really um, an ability to be able to afford uh, and, and access uh, good food and be able to put food, you know, on the table. Um, so while, you know, a, a continuing challenge for Australians is, uh, you know, a range of chronic disease, chronic conditions like diabetes and heart disease linked to uh, the quality of our diets, the, our ability to be able to afford good food. Food insecurity is really a step uh, even in the wrong direction from that. It's being able to afford food full stop. It's being able to put food on the table. It's being able to refill your pantry. Uh, and it's, the, it's being able to afford it, basically. And, 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 and we know that financial pressures are a major barrier to families and individuals being able to um, eat healthily. And we know that food uh, is one of the leading risk factors for disease. Um, you know, poor diets is a, is a major driver of, of chronic diseases like diabetes and heart disease, many types of cancers uh, here in Australia. So for us, food insecurity, um, you know, it's really about making sure that you know, regardless of your postcode, your income or your background, no Australian should go hungry and no Australian child uh, should face significant barriers in being able to access, afford and enjoy a healthy diet. I fundamentally believe that and I think most people do. No parent uh, wants to have to choose between paying the rent or putting food on the table. Uh, and so many great community groups are working hard to make sure that particularly during this time where the price of food has gone up because of uh, natural disaster, climate change, and now COVID, um, and the distribution of food has been affected because of coronavirus, and finally, employment and uh, incomes have been affected, therefore affordability, the, you know, family budgets for food have been decreased because of coronavirus, you've got almost this perfect storm for food insecurity. And very often what is the first thing to disappear off the grocery list is fresh, healthy food like fruits and vegetables. The very things that kids need to be able to grow up strong and healthy, the very things that parents wanna be able to put on the grocery list, um, but we need to be supporting them uh, and supporting Australian farmers, you know, it helps everyone for Australians to be getting more of this onto their plates. Um, but it does take leadership and it does take um, some coordination from an organisation like Vic Health. Yeah, thanks for your work with that. Like I am aware that you, you're doing a fair bit of work on the grassroots level and trying to help people in that position. So well done uh, to Vic Health and all the people that are working there and on those projects. So thanks for your work with that, Sandro. You well, I just want to say we, we, yep. we, we are, I mean, just to say that we... Um, you know, we work with a huge range of partners and very often our role is to support others to do what they do well. And that's very much the case with this grant round. We, you know, there are hundreds of organisations, small organisations across Victoria doing incredible work in this space, whether the large food banks uh, all the way through to small organisations across regional Victoria. Uh, our role is to support them. They, I think they're the ones that deserve the congratulations, but um, you know, I just want to say that it, it is a very much driven by the partners we work with. Um, you know, we're, 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 the, we're working in the wings to try and support them to go further faster. Yeah, so it's a partnership together, all working towards the same goal. Excellent. Um, you have the position of medical officer for non-communicable conditions and nutrition with the Department of Nutrition for Health and Development at the World Health Organization. What did this role entail and what were your learnings? Gosh, I, I learned a huge amount. Um, I remember at the end of my time with the UN, I, I realized that I, I learned how to be patient and I learned how to be diplomatic or maybe more diplomatic. Uh, I'm, I'm still not terribly patient and sometimes I'm not 
that diplomatic, unfortunately. So I learned a lot. I've still got a lot more to learn. Um, but I, I, my role basically was that I was based in Geneva. I worked with governments around the world, advising them on, on um, food policy, on nutrition policy. Uh, so, um, you know, it, it would involve flying out to different countries or from our base in Geneva, developing guidelines, providing technical support, coordinating scientific evidence, commissioning scientific evidence, uh, even from apart uh, from our research partners. Um, so uh, it was a fascinating time. It was 2015 to 2018. So it was just as we were developing the sustainable development goals, the, the global agenda for sustainable development, uh, the 15 year strategy of which we're now five years in. Um, and I was also lucky enough to work on and, and help to launch the United Nations Decade of Action on Nutrition. Um, so they were two really big projects that I, I worked on closely. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating, complex, um, you know, global uh, organization, uh, very different from my work at Vic Health, but, you know, but also both, both have a really strong um, focus on improving the health and lives of populations. I think what I missed about, you know, working in Geneva, what I really missed, which is what I love about my role with Vic Health, is the opportunity to really work closely with communities. Um, the closest I got to communities when I was working at, at the World Health Organization headquarters was really visiting capitals, visiting capital cities of countries around the world. Whereas now I get to visit, you know, families, individuals, households, um, and and that really takes me back to you know where I began as a doctor. I think it, it that that's that's a real pleasure that comes with um, working at a state at a state based agency. Like I said, there you're always learning, no matter what, and I think that's a, a key thing to to keep in um you know, in the back of our minds, and we always can grow and, and learn. And you know, education is key, and that just sounds like a fascinating role. I would love to to be involved in something like that, and you know, food policy around the world. What a an excellent opportunity that you were given there. So well done. It's pretty fun. Yeah, I've written a book called the The Doctor's Diet. It contains simple and sensible dietary advice to improve our overall health. What inspired you to write this book and can you share some tips on your dietary advice? Yeah, look, I was, it really, it really um, goes back to being a doctor and remembering working in an emergency department and having someone come in with um, complex diabetes or advanced heart disease and thinking to myself, you know, if only I had something I could give them that was, you know, easy to read, um, in a bit, a bit sort of, you know, it, it was light but evidence-based, really substantive in terms of the advice and information that in it, that's in it, but easy to read and and and, and approachable, um, and really boils down the science to what what can I do today to improve my health, the health of my family, and then. What are some basic recipes, you know, that I can get started on in the kitchen to um, that that I know are healthy, that I know are going to um, be conducive to a healthy life? And so the opportunity came up to write to write that book. Um, the first half of the book is really just health information. It's evidence based, but it's really I've tried to make it kind of you know lots of checklists and and top tips. Um, it really it goes through like everything from um, you know, sleep to uh, all aspects of a healthy diet to exercise, how to read a nutrition label, um, really practical things. And then the second half of the book is uh, about 70 of my favorite recipes, all from my kitchen, all my own recipes. Um, and, you know, I think my, my top tips are, you know, first of all, always start with vegetables, make, make fruit and vegetables, the hero of your cooking, find the ones that you love. You don't need to love them. You don't need to love all vegetables. There will be some that you don't enjoy, but the ones that you love, and hopefully there are enough there to be, to, to, to get some diversity into your diet, but find the ones you love, learn some recipes that you enjoy cooking with those master them, and then choose recipes that are a bit flexible that you can then adapt over time. And, and in addition to, making fruit and vegetables the hero of your kitchen and the hero of your plate 
also invest in some staples. Have, have, have enough things in your cupboards. There are only probably a handful, 10 or 20 um, uh, ingredients, foods, that if you have in your cupboard at any one time, you can make a, a, a quick, easy, simple dinner from scratch uh, from pretty much any fruits or vegetables that you bring home from the fruit shop, the market or the supermarket that day. But it's the combination of having those things in the, in the cupboard and, and restocking those once a month with then making sure that, you know, you, you keep, um, you go to, you, that, that fruits and fruit and veg and, and um, you know, that they become the heroes of your cooking. Th that combination uh, is always going to lead to a great outcome. And people always say to me, you know, what, what's the best thing if you're wanting to, you know, for your gut health or for brain health or heart health or, and it all comes back to the same things. It all comes back to packing in, for, you know, veg, really, really enjoying and getting getting veg uh, into into your meals. Make, you know, meat can still be there, but make it make it something that is a, a garnish or something that you add. Make veggies the main course and the hero, um, and then and then you know. The, the yeah the rest um, the rest becomes you know much easier uh, if if that's the starting point. Yeah, I encourage everyone to grab a copy of the book. Like I've got a copy and it it is easy to read, easy to follow, and you know it is it does show your Italian heritage with the, especially with your love of the um, olive oil. And it's never yeah, just a, yeah. um, I always a dash. Get, it's, it's always a <laughs> dash, isn't it? So. I always get, I always get in trouble. But you know, again, it's you know, we think of we think of foods as like good or bad, but but there are no good or bad foods. I mean, it's it's really about um, it's really about trying to eat whole foods. It's about eating uh, you know foods that are foods, not ingredient, not not products. If it has an ingredient list and it has a has a long ingredient list, and even more so if it has an ingredient list where you can't understand most of the ingredients then that's not a food, that's a product. You know, try and stick as much as you can to actually cooking and eating food, whole foods, fruits and vegetables. Olive oil is a great example of a healthy oil. You know, you can enjoy it. It's great for your health. Obviously, don't go overboard, but, you know, it's actually the oil that you add to your, um, you know, your kale dish or to your pasta dish or to, um, your whole grain dish. It's the oil that's going to keep you feeling full for longer. There are all sorts of uh, micronutrients that are that are fat soluble, so you you actually need to absorb them by by taking by getting some having some healthy fats in your diets. Um, you know, so it's the balance of those different things. Uh, and you know, the modified Mediterranean diet, which has the best evidence in the world, it's all about fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, seeds. And healthy oils and then a little bit of lean meat and some fresh seafood um uh you know once or twice a week perfect thank you for sharing your tips and as you said you know if you can stick to real foods and as you said a food not a product i think that's really important you know if it's got a long ingredient list on things that we can't understand then it's definitely not not a food it's a, it's a product so thanks for that simple tip you are involved in a tv series called ask it doctor where you aim to educate the public about the impact nutrition can have. Can you reflect on this and share your key learnings and messages? Yeah, well, how that came to be is a funny story because the original email that arrived asking uh, from ABC asking me whether I would want to co-host a TV show, I, it went to the junk box and I honestly thought it was a spam. Like I thought it was, you know, someone, uh, a prince from a foreign land wanting my uh bank account details or something like that so i left it in the junk for a few a few weeks until i checked it again and realized that oh actually i better follow this up and see if this is for real anyway jump forward uh, i found myself um co-hosting ask the doctor with um two incredible other uh doctors australian doctors and it, and it was a really fun experience i mean the idea ultimately what i'm what i'm super passionate about which i would hope is clear is you know is improving, is giving, is, is supporting and working with Australians, people worldwide to be able to access, afford 
and understand and use uh, a healthy diet, but also achieve good health. And so someone, if someone's asking you, you know, would you want to, what about we give you a platform that you can reach almost a million people each week broadcasting across Australia? And now it's broadcast on Netflix in 130 countries around the world. You know, they, they said, well, let's make television, but let's make something that is evidence-based, that is uh, really going to test you, put, put your, your kind of, you know, put your body on the, on the line, put your knowledge on the line, um, but give you a platform to be able to get these messages out to millions of people worldwide. And, and hopefully, um, you know, people learn something new. They have a laugh along the way. It is a, it is a light series, um, but it's, it's very, I mean, it's very rigorously um, researched. Everything is, is really, you know, we, we, we visit some of the best experts in Australia and in the world in, in series one and two. Um, and it was just a really, again, a really fun way of reaching more people with that same message uh, of how, do, how can you improve uh, your own health? How can we work together to improve the health of, of um, the communities around us? I've actually watched um, one of those. I've, I've used one of your episodes in, in a classroom, the sugar episode. And create a few questions based on that, and the kids actually loved it. So it was the one where you had oh, that's awesome. the um, the soft drinks, and you had to walk it off. Um, yes, through Melbourne, and I found that yep. that was just brilliant. So, <laughs> and you know, and you know, it's a funny story, Daniel, because we we recorded that. Charlene and I recorded that, um, and it was there was the biggest thunderstorm in the middle of it, so we didn't actually plan for it, but the the it, it made for very good television because he had to keep walking because he drank, a, I think it was a 600 mil soft drink. And so he had to walk something like, you know, 20 something kilometers, a long way to burn off this soft drink. But in the meantime, a good old Melbourne, four seasons in one day, it had gone from sunny when we left the CBD to absolutely pelting down with rain. So there's Charlene walking through Prince's Park in Melbourne, pelting down with rain, me with a megaphone out the back of a three, three-wheeled bicycle uh, cart, shouting at him to walk faster. I mean, it was it was fun to film. It was good television, but it also again got the message home that the, these these sugary drinks are packed with empty calories. Um, they they actually you know if you're consuming one of those a day, and you're not going to then walk 25 kilometers on top of your normal physical activity for the day, you are never as 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 James Mookie said, you can't outrun an unhealthy diet. Mm. And I think that was. That was the message loud and clear from that episode. Yeah, that no, was brilliant. And yeah, encourage people to watch it. You can watch it for free on the ABC iView app as well. And, and that's available. And even the other episode I liked was where you had, um, there's a few people checking their diets and how much they thought they consumed. And actually you showed them visually. So it's a, it's a great visual and it is fantastic for kids to have a look at. Um, yeah. And then they can see that message quite clearly. Just going to sidetrack for a sec. We've just got a, had a question come through um, from Erica just asking, your advice on the best non-seed oil for shallow frying? What would you recommend? Yeah, so this is a good question. Um, we, uh, what I usually recommend when it comes to oils are um, for basically everything. So the reason she's asking about frying is is because for everything else, not super high temperature cooking, um, I use olive oil. So I'll have two olive oils in the kitchen, one which is a large volume production, cheaper olive oil, still really high quality, still cold pressed Australian, but it's, you know, it's affordable. I'll use that one for pretty much all of my cooking where I do the, the generous uh, drizzle that you've already accused me of there, Daniel. Um, I'll then have probably a smaller batch, fresh olive oil that I buy each year, a bit more expensive from a small producer somewhere, has a lot of aeolic acid, warms the throat, great for putting fresh on top of um, maybe some pasta or a salad, uh, you know, on top of the fennel and orange salad with the really fresh green olive oil is amazing. And then I, th then I have one olive oil that I use actually fairly rarely, which is the, um, which would be a canola oil, uh, or it could be, um, uh, you know, you're, you're looking for basically uh, a vegetable oil, um, which I use canola um, because it's, uh, it, it's a healthy oil still and it's uh, stable at very high temperatures. 
Um, and that's the one that I use for frying and also for searing uh, meat. So when, whenever you're going to get the, the, um, the oil up to a point that it starts to, um, you know, potentially is going to start to um, become volatile, uh, you don't want to be using olive oil because it does, uh, it does become unhealthy. It, it has a low burning temperature. So um, that's where I would have olive oil for pretty much everything, two types, a staple and a special one. And then I'd have um, um, an, an olive oil, uh, sorry, a canola oil for high temperature cooking. You can also have, you know, if you like coconut oil, though it's very high in saturated fat, um, the evidence is not as clear for coconut oil, um, for avocado oil, uh, as it is for olive oil in terms of your staples. And, and really for, for, the, um, for the high temperature one, I, I use it very infrequently. So I use canola oil because it's cheap, it's easy, and it's, and it's healthy at high temperature. Um, if, you, if you don't uh, like, um, you know, don't like canola oil, um, then another, another sort of, um, you know, run-of-the-mill vegetable oil would be, would be uh, the best to use because you're not going to be using it very often. Yeah, so where, where possible, stick to olive oil as much as possible. Um, yeah, it's probably very good advice there. You've had a very decorated career to date. Is there anything happening in the Pipeworks? Uh, gosh, um, is there anything happening in the Pipeworks? I mean, there's always lots, there's always lots happening. Um, I, I've launched, I launched a podcast last year, which has been really fun. Again, like I kind of do these things just because I'm really passionate and I love communicating some of these issues. People seem to love it very often. Um, I get to work with really fun people. So we launched a podcast last year called In Good Health. We launched a first season, which was looking at again, food and, and food through food as a language. Uh, we, we explored things like social connection, food security. There's actually a whole episode on food security. Should have mentioned that before, Daniel. Um, then second season was actually around um, uh, around COVID and getting an, an, an advice. And I actually, I actually recorded that from my bedroom. So um, very low, low uh, tech, but, you know, was just trying to get information out to support people to stay healthy across um, the COVID period. There'll be a third season coming soon. Um, and we're really, really excited for that. Um, gosh, there's so, there, there really is um, so much exciting stuff happening. I mean, um, we've got a big partnership with one of the global agencies, uh, one of the United Nations agencies that we're going to announce in a couple of weeks on uh, on World Child Day. So watch out for that. November 20, we'll announce a big new partnership from Vic Health, which is really exciting. Uh, one of the first of its kind in the world. Um, and apart from, okay, and then probably the, the other thing is not work-related because we're talking just about work now. So you know what I'm really looking forward to, Daniel? I'm really looking forward to being able to get back to the farm with my family, with my nieces, uh, back around a dining table and being able to safely enjoy some fantastic food thanks to the hard work that so many millions of Victorians have put in over the last couple of months, uh, flattening the coronavirus curve. And, and as, as we're recording this today, we're on the the cusp of easing restrictions tonight at midnight. Um, it's been a long year. It's been a long couple of months. A lot of people have made a lot of sacrifices for us to be in the safe position that we are, the envy of the world in many ways. And so probably the, the thing I'm looking forward to most at the moment is actually not even to do with my work. It's to do with seeing friends, being able to catch up with family and share good food with them safely around a dinner table again very soon. Yeah, we've got four hours to go and it's officially a bit more... Um, and then you can come over for dinner. Relaxed. Yeah, exactly right. Although you might struggle with the two-people rule in the Italian family, but you'll have to just plan that true. out as this you go. <laughs> uh, where can people find information and follow your work? Yeah, look, um, In Good Health's on uh, everywhere you, where you find your usual podcasts. Uh, you can find me uh, on social media, Twitter and uh, Instagram at Sandro DeMeo, one word. Um, if you want to learn more about Vic Health's work, please head to vichealth.vic.gov.au. And if you want to hear more or read more about the Foundation Little Food Festival or Festival 21, uh, you can head to sandrodemeofoundation.org. But it's at Sandro DeMeo is uh, for social. So I'd love to hear from people. Um, you know, 
comment, uh, message me. Love to hear kind of, you know, um, what, what people around Australia uh, are doing at the moment in terms of staying healthy, how, how they're uh, reconnecting through food. Uh, and if there are questions that we haven't been able to, I, I can see a bunch of questions on the question board coming up here and some really good ones as well. And, and a mention of uh, Peter Bruckner too, uh, who, uh, who's a real legend. Um, but if you uh, have lots of questions, then please feel free also to, to send those through to me on social media. Excellent. Thank you for that. And just our final question, Sandro, if you could only offer one piece of advice for our listeners to lead healthier lives, what would that one piece of advice be? Uh, no question. More veg. Just get, just, just, you know, really enjoy, learn to love um, fresh uh, whole foods, but particularly vegetables. I know it sounds super nerdy to say that um, and, and a bit sort of like, really? you know haven't you got something better than that but it comes back you know again and again uh for millions of years what's kept us healthy for, th for hundreds of thousands and and what what really gave what's given um you know the, the modified mediterranean diet and uh you know those parts of the world some of the longest life expectancies in the world uh is the the dominance of fresh whole foods in their diets and um, I think one of the one of the silver linings that we've seen in Victoria of lockdown is actually people more people getting back into the kitchen cooking from scratch. It's been partly to save money, but also because they have more time. So I would say the my tip for you is to hold on to that. That is a silver lining of coronavirus of the coronavirus, which has been a really tough period. But one silver lining has been that more Australians are cooking more now than they ever have before. Hold on to that. Master a few recipes while you can that, that will, you can continue to enjoy beyond when life gets busy again and make sure that those really are recipes that celebrate the vegetables that you love uh, and then cook it and enjoy it with family. So that way you're going to get multiple benefits from the one process, cooking good food. Excellent. Thank you very much for, for sharing your ideas there. And I do agree, you know, more people have been in the, in the kitchen and which is fantastic. Um, and as you said at the start of the interview, just about your own background and upbringing of, of living with food and, and learning to cook. So that's excellent. Thank you so much, Sandra. Like it is great to hear the passion that you bring to the table. And you know, it's, it's clearly evident with all the stuff that you're doing behind the scenes as well. And you know, we thank you for your work with Vic Health and all the other things that you're doing. Do encourage people to check out his book. Um, you can pick that up at all good bookstores and also check out Ask the Doctor series on the ABC iView app. So, Sandro, thank you so much for your time tonight and hopefully you. you'll, you'll head um, towards your family soon and have those meals as a big awesome. Italian family. <laughs> Thanks, go. Daniel. And, yeah, we wish, wish you and the crew uh, also a big thank you and a safe and happy end to, to 2020. Excellent. Thanks, Andrew.